Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Good day, good friends. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. And today, a timely look at the political landscape as we head into the midterms. You know, a couple of months ago, we all went through March madness and the scramble to fill out a perfect bracket for the NCAA playoffs. Well, now, welcome to May madness and the scramble to pick candidates in party primaries nationwide. Four states will hold hotly contested Republican Senate primaries in the month of May alone. Donald Trump has endorsed in all four races, and that has unleashed a Republican civil war in all four states. It all starts today, Tuesday, May 3rd, in Ohio, where Trump's candidate, J.D. Vance, is battling four or five other Republicans for the chance to run against Democratic Congressman Tim Ryan in November. Well, to bring us up to date on where things stand in these important Republican primaries and the prospects for Democrats and Republicans in November, we're lucky to catch up with Kyle Kondik, managing editor of Larry Sabato's Crystal Ball newsletter at the renowned Center for Politics at the University of Virginia. Kyle knows American politics as well as anybody I know. I talked with him yesterday on the eve of the Ohio primary. Kyle Kondik, it's been a while. Good to reconnect with you and welcome. Welcome to the Bill Press Pod. Good to be with you, Bill. All right. So uh, 2022, we've been waiting for it. We're here uh, and the GOP primaries kick off uh, actually tomorrow in Ohio. Uh, one of the most interesting primaries of all. It's pretty wild out there, Kyle, isn't it? And Donald Trump endorsing J.D. Vance. So give us a a little overview. Who are the leading candidates and how's it look? Yeah. So there are five kind of major candidates, uh, all of whom for the most part have had sort of a, a moment in the sun in this race. But as we get to the actual, you know, voting concluding uh, on Tuesday evening, you know, J.D. Vance is probably a, a soft favorite, uh, you know, the, the author of Hillbilly Elegy, who um, has, uh, you know, was a big time Trump critic in 2016 and has totally turned around on that. Um, but you also have uh, a state senator, Matt Dolan, who's uh, part of the family that owns the now Cleveland Guardians uh, baseball team. Jane Timken, the former state Republican Party chair. Mike Gibbons, a businessman who uh, ran unsuccessfully for you at the U.S. Senate nomination on the Republican side in, 20, um, in, in 2018. And then finally, Josh Mandel, who started this race as the favorite. Uh, he is the former state treasurer who unsuccessfully challenged Sherrod Brown in 20, uh, 2012. And, uh, you know, again, it's th this race has kind of bounced around a lot. No one has really been able to break out. Um, it may be that the Vance endorsement by Trump was the decisive moment in this race. But, you know, it's possible that uh, that, that Vance may not win. Um, there's been some late momentum behind Dolan, who is probably the least kind of Trumpy of the candidates. Um, <laughs> he's kind of more in the mold of maybe past Republican senators from Ohio, like the current incumbent, Rob Portman, who's retiring, or maybe Mike DeWine, who's now the governor, but used to be in the yeah. Senate in that, you know, I wouldn't say Dolan is necessarily moderate, 
um, uh, although he's he's I think he's less conservative than the others and he's much less focused on Trump and Trump doesn't like him. Uh, so I think if Dolan were to win, it would be, you know, I, I think a lot of people would interpret it as sort of a, uh, a rebuke of, of Trump. Although, you know, with such a big field, maybe that the winner gets, you know, 25, 30% and, um, you know, let's say Dolan wins, but, uh, the others combine for, you know, 70% of the vote or something, you know, they're all like really avowedly pro Trump. So I don't know how you'd really interpret that kind of, uh, um, that kind of result if it happened, but bottom line is I think you'd rather be Vance than the other candidates, but, uh, it still seems pretty fluid. Is there a runoff if, uh, no, no, no runoff. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in, you know, runoffs are, um, you know, some states have them mostly in the South, but particularly in the kind of mu- much of the rest of the country, you don't have a runoff. So um, not only is there not a runoff in Ohio, there's not going to be one in Pennsylvania, too, which is another big uh, Republican Senate primary coming up. Uh, yeah, uh, and that's that's on uh, that's on May 17th. Right. So you're saying it's not over in Ohio. I mean, J.D. Vance does not have this in the bag, right? I don't think so. I, I, you know, again, I think that his position was certainly improved by the Trump endorsement because Vance was not leading polls prior to the, the Trump endorsement. And now he arguably is, um, at least the, the num- recent numbers have come out, but he's not in a, you know, it's not like he's at like 35 or 40%. You know, he's at, uh, uh, even a poll that his own or his allies put out from the Republican pollster, Tony Fabrizio, who's, um, pretty well-respected pollster on the Republican yeah, side. Yeah. You know, he had, he had Vance at 31% and, and clearly leading, but, um, you know, that's still not a huge number. Uh, so again, I think you'd, you'd rather be Vance than anybody else, but, uh, it's, it's fluid. Well, as you pointed out, there was nobody more critical of Donald Trump in 2016 <laughs> than JD Vance. I mean, he called him America's Hitler. He called him an idiot. Uh, I guess pe- people don't mind if you just totally flip flop like that. Uh, well, I mean, look, if, if the former president is okay with it, then I guess that's a signal to, to other folks. And, and if the former president's son is okay with it, then, yeah. um, that, then maybe that's all right. I mean, it's I, one thing I've been thinking about in, in, in this is it's, it's different, but, um, you know, there is a, I mean, who's, who's the most, you know, important Republican politician of the last, you know, several generations, you know, I guess some people might say Trump, but you probably say Ronald Reagan. And, uh, you know, Reagan, uh, there is a conversion story at the heart of the Reagan story and that Reagan started as a Democrat and then he sort of mm. very publicly mm-hmm. became a became a Republican, was a big Goldwater person in 64. And Reagan always went, you know, rhetorically would go back to that. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, like like I think I don't think it's that big of a deal for the Republican Party to accept someone who has been critical of Donald Trump, because, frankly, many of the major figures in the Republican Party, other right. than Trump, were critical of, of Trump at various points. And so, you know, you it, it's easy to say, well, they're <laughs> they're being really hypocritical and Vance is doing this as a power grab. And like that all may be true. But at the end of the day, I don't know how much the rank and file cares about it. Now, you do have a lot of uh, outside groups and the candidates themselves continuing to attack Vance over his previous statements about Trump. And it may be for some voters that there's a sort of a sense of whiplash or confusion, because on one hand, they may they may be aware that Trump has endorsed J.D. Vance, but they can also see with their own eyes in these TV ads that Vance is being extremely critical of Trump. So maybe that's a maybe that still ends up being a problem for Vance. What's it mean for Donald Trump if if JD Vance loses? 
I don't know how much it means. Uh, I will think. I do think he stuck his neck out to some degree, and in 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 that sense, he would be unsuccessful. And look, even if Vance wins, but he gets like you know twenty five, thirty percent or something, yes, the the Trump endorsement will have been worth. I don't know, 10, 15, maybe even 20 points, which is a lot. Um, But it's not like Trump said, hey, vote for Vance. And then Vance would have suddenly gotten 75% or something, you know? So it's not, it's not as cut and dry as it's just like Trump endorses someone and they win. And in fact, Trump has endorsed people who haven't won. Um, And, and, you know, recently he had to, you know, rescind his endorsement or he decided to rescind his endorsement of Mo Brooks in Alabama because Brooks was doing so poorly. Um, Trump also endorsed, uh, you know, Sean Parnell initially in the Pennsylvania Senate race and Parnell ended up dropping out. Um, So, uh, you know, I, 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 I think it could also be dangerous to say there's always this triumphalism from people who don't like Trump saying, Oh, well, now that this has happened, you know, Trump's the spell is broken or whatever. And like, I feel like we've seen that story like a hundred times now. And so I'm not, you know, I want to see a lot more. Um, But, you know, Trump has some tests coming up. I mean, he looks like he, uh, it looks like he, he probably is going to be on the wrong end of the Georgia governor's race because he went against Brian Kemp and Kemp continues to lead. Pennsylvania's coming up in a couple of weeks. We'll see what happens with that. Uh, it, in a sense, and other people have have I've seen written about this that um, here in Ohio and in other states, it's a choice almost between Trump and Trumpism, right? I mean, as you pointed out, the other candidates other than J.D. Vance in Ohio are not anti-Trump, right? They just don't have Trump's endorsement, but they're Trumpers, right? Yeah, I mean, I would say other than Do- really Dolan is the is the one candidate who. I would, and again, I wouldn't even say he's been anti-Trump. He's just not like running as essentially like you know his campaign isn't you know Trump, 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 Trump. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, but but the other you know it's not like you can you know it's not like the the you know the Ohio presidential primary on the Republican side in 2016. You had at the top you know Kasich, John Kasich, the sitting governor at the time, versus Donald Trump, and it was a you know an active choice for a Trumpish Republican Party led by Trump or something different. Yeah. This time, I don't know if it's really that 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 yeah. kind of thing. And so again, that's why if, if Dolan were to win. Um, I wouldn't necessarily take that as some sort of huge repudiation of Trump, particularly because so many of the other candidates are were, were basically dying to get that endorsement. If you're Tim Ryan, uh, who it looks like is going to be the Democratic Democratic Senate candidate, which one of these guys do you want to run against? I would say Mandel, just because Mandel, uh, I think, hmm. has rubbed some people o- the wrong way over the years. Uh, Mandel also you know, relative to how other Republicans performed, didn't perform particularly well in his 2012 challenge to Sherrod Brown. Even if you go, if you, this is a real kind of inside baseball race, but even in his uh, 2014 treasure reelection race, Mandel didn't do as well as the other Republicans that year. It was an extremely Republican leaning year. Um, so I just think Mandel might have the most baggage of these candidates. I and mean, he's also probably the most, you know, experienced, um, but I would I would say I think these other candidates are probably would probably be a stronger challenger or stronger opponent for Ryan than Mandel. That said, I think any of these five candidates would be you know certainly favored to start the general election over over Ryan, just because Ohio is a Ohio has become more Republican in recent years, and it's probably going to be a Republican leading year. Uh, and that's a state that Republicans have to win, right? I mean, it seems always. That's the way in the presidential election. At yeah. Rate. And, and um, you know, certainly 
Ohio is a state that Republicans hope is not one where they're spending a lot of money, um, yeah. you know, down the stretch for 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 Senate. Um, I think they're probably and and we've seen this in the initial um, ad bookings from the various outside groups on both sides of the aisle that Ohio is not a target as of this point um, for either Democratic offense or Republican defense. Uh, but we'll see how that goes. And, and, you know, Ryan is raising a lot of money himself. And so he'll be able to run a credible campaign. But uh, I just I just think it's it's tough given the the trends in the state and the uh, in the environment. And, it, you know, it may be that the Republican nominee is weak and runs a bad race again, just for the, for the sake mm-hmm. of argument here and still wins, you know. So I've, I've been thinking about it. You know, we've got another the Republicans have this other contentious primary. I mean, they've got a lot of them, but um, you know, Missouri, you've got Eric Greitens, yeah, who's a right. very damaged former governor. Um, I think if you took Greitens and put him in Ohio and made him the Republican nominee, I think Greitens probably would actually be in significant trouble. But I actually think Greitens would be fine in Missouri because Missouri's been um, become more Republican. And mm-hmm. as you know, whatever you want to say, good or bad, about the Republican Senate alternatives in Ohio, none of them have. Eric Greitens level problems. Got it. Yeah, right. Uh, I want to get to those other, some of those other states in a minute, but before we move on from Ohio, uh, interesting governor's race, right? I mean, so the incumbent, Mike DeWine, uh, who is not a big Trumper <laughs> at all, no. uh, uh, is up against Jim Renacci in the primary, who has been endorsed by Trump. Uh, and in this case, it looks like Trump's endorsement hasn't helped Renacci at all, has it? So tr- Trump has not endorsed Renacci. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought he yeah. had. Yeah. He, he's, Trump has said bad things about DeWine in the past, but he hasn't come out and formally endorsed Renacci. I think probably because even Trump recognizes <laughs> that Renacci is not going to win yeah. um, or, or is very unlikely to win. So it's a, it, you know, DeWine may very well get under 50% as the sitting governor in the in the primary, which I think would be significant, but his opposition is, is splintered. I mean, Renacci is the most prominent challenger, but there are a few other candidates, including a guy named Joe Blystone, who is a, who's a farmer, who's got this kind of almost uh, kind of, uh, um, I don't know, it was cult following or whatever you want to put it, but he's become uh, he's become kind of popular in some rural places. And so um, between Blystone and the other candidates and Renacci, it might be mm-hmm. that DeWine gets, you know, 45 yeah. or something, but the other candidates don't necessarily come all that close to him. So yeah, we'll see. I guess I was confused because I know Renacci's been uh, trying to tie himself to Trump, but I, I thought he had the endorsement. Uh, thank you for clarifying. But now let's look at, uh, in the next four weeks, some of the others that are coming up, where Trump has made endorsements. You mentioned Georgia a little bit earlier. Um, uh, in the governor's race, right, uh, he, <laughs> Donald Trump's been after Brian Kemp ever since Brian Kemp would not find him all the votes he needed to win Georgia. Uh, so he's endorsed David Perdue, it doesn't look like it's working, Kyle. No, and in fact, you know, Georgia is a state where you do have a runoff, so the winner is going to have to get 50%. Otherwise, there, there'll be a, a runoff later on. But um, one thing I've been trying to just look at with the polling and whatnot is like, you know, Kemp is, has been ahead of Purdue in every poll I've seen, basically. But um, Kemp was, you know, right around 50 in a lot of them. And so I was thinking, well, it's possible that maybe – Kemp would actually get held under 50% and then there'd be a runoff and then maybe Kemp Mm -hmm. would be in more danger. But um, some of the more recent numbers have shown Kemp at like 55, 56, 57, um, which leads me to think that, that, that Kemp has the momentum with a few weeks to go here to clearly get over 50% and put this thing away. Wow. Wow. And in the Senate race, uh, Trump's endorsement of Herschel Walker raised some eyebrows in Washington. Mitch McConnell initially wasn't very happy with it. 
Um, was Walker got this in the bag for the Republican nomination? Certainly seems like it. Uh, he's, got some, you know, he's got some baggage too. Walker though. definitely has baggage, and some of his Republican opponents have tried to essentially warn the Republican electorate that, hey, if you nominate this guy, this is going to be a problem in the general election. Maybe, maybe it would be, maybe it wouldn't. Um, but the numbers still suggest that Walker is well over 50%. So I think something dramatic would have to change in the last um, few weeks here for, for Walker to be held under 50%, which would set up um, you know, very interesting general election between Raphael Warnock, the Democratic incumbent, mm-hmm. and uh, and Walker. Let's go to Nebraska. It's been rumored for a while and finally happened. Donald Trump endorsing Charles W. Herbster, uh, who eight, I think eight different women came out over the weekend accusing him of sexual, if not assault, misconduct at any rate. Doesn't seem to bother him or bother Donald Trump. What's going on? Uh, I mean, that's been a, you know, that's certainly been a theme with Trump and his own, well, certainly there are accusations of that sort of thing against oh, him. Yeah. And, and it hasn't been, uh, I mean, you know, one of the guys that uh, that Trump endorsed um, who dropped out was Sean Parnell in Pennsylvania, who um, at the very least is going through a pretty nasty divorce. And there were some, you know, accusations made there, which um, basically, it, it, you know, contributed to Parnell leaving um uh, leaving the race, that Nebraska race still seems um, it seems pretty close and competitive. You know, Trump was just there for Herbster the, the other night, mm-hmm. and you know that's that's one where you you would definitely expect a Republican nominee to win the general election, given how uh, how Republican um, Nebraska is. So overall, is it <laughs> he's not on the ballot, but in a sense, Trump is on the ballot, isn't he? Uh, I mean, look, he is a uh, he's certainly much more visible as an ex president than maybe any ex-president ever, at least in modern times, because it's not like you saw Democrats in 1982 bend it over backwards to get Jimmy Carter's endorsement or um, Republicans in 1994 doing the same thing with George H.W. Bush uh, or, frankly, you know, Democrats with Obama in 2018. I mean, Obama was, um, you know, does still do some campaign work, but he's not nearly involved as involved in, um, you know, day to day politics as as Trump has been. Certainly, you'd say that, you know, George W. Bush basically disappeared. You know, I guess you could say Bill Clinton was involved because his uh, in, in large part because his wife was was still active in politics. But uh, Trump's political life as a you know defeated former president is mm-hmm. just different than than other past presidents i think it's fair to say yeah no absolutely i haven't seen we haven't seen uh, anything like that certainly the ones you mentioned um were eager <laughs> look at barack obama to get away as far away from right. politics as they could just about. right exactly right. uh and then uh, that's enough of the republican primaries let's get into the general election we'll take a quick break and then look at uh, how some of that is shaping up here kyle if you just hold on for just a second Hey, friends, Saturday night at the White House Correspondents' Dinner, I had a chance to chat with the great Jose Andres, and I told him about all the support that we've received from uh, you, our podcast listeners, for the World Central Kitchen, Uh, and Jose Andres asked me to tell you all thank you and to ask you to please keep sending your support because they need it so much. They're doing such a great job. Uh, his project called Chefs for Ukraine. They're now putting out 300,000 daily meals into the people of Ukraine uh, and to refugees uh, in Poland and other countries nearby. 300,000 meals a day. So far, Chefs for Ukraine have provided over 12 million meals 
captive refugees in eight countries. So they really need our help. They're doing such a great job. The World Central Kitchen website, wck.org. Check it out and send whatever help you can. And Jose Andres says, thank you. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. And we're back here on the Bill Press Pod looking at the political landscape uh, here in the Republican primaries. There's a lot of them happening this month of May and then forward to the general election. Today's guest, uh, who knows politics as well as anybody else I know, um, Kyle Kondik, who's the managing editor uh, for Larry Sabato down, uh, and the Crystal Ball down at the Center for Politics at the University of Virginia. Uh, so um, <laughs> let me ask you this. For the midterms, the general election, are things as grim as they seem for Democrats, Kyle? Uh, I would say that they are. <laughs> oh, um, you know, Ouch. I think that, uh, yeah, I just, I just think that the, you know, if a, if a president's party does well in a midterm and it does sometimes happen, but you know, usually they need a president to be popular and they need some sort of issue kind of breaking in their favor, be it, uh, you know, terrorism and nine 11 and the lead up to Iraq for George W. Bush in 2002 and the Republicans or, um, you know, Republican overreach on impeachment in 1998 combined with a good economy and good approval ratings for Bill Clinton, um, but you know, the, the circumstances we have now is that you have Biden whose numbers are pretty similar to where Trump's were at this time, four years ago. Um, you know, his approval is a mm -hmm. little higher than 40 His disapproval is a little higher than 50. Uh, and the actual issues that have emerged, I think are negative for, you know, for, for any incumbent president, uh, you know, inflation has become a big issue for the first time in 40 years, basically, um, you have, you know, high gas prices, you have uh, just sort of general discontent coming out of the pandemic. And, um, you know, I, I think that, again, you if you if you wanted if, if you're a Democrat and you want Biden and the Democrats to do well, I think you'd be looking for some extraordinarily positive uh, developments to kind of 
break against the usual midterm pattern, which is bad for the president's party. Instead, we have what I would think of are kind of like ordinary circumstances in that, you know, new president takes over. um, He's either accused of overreaching or not doing enough, depending on who's looking at it. And you have, you know, problems emerging that, uh, um, that the public either blames the white house for, or thinks that the white house is not doing enough about them. Um, but, um, uh, you know, bottom line here is that, is that I think the environment is, is bad and that our Democrats are in, um, significant danger of losing both the house and the Senate, both the house and the Senate. I was going to say, so the house, uh, what Republicans have to pick up, what, four or five, right? Um, yeah, just five seats. And, and, you know, historically speaking, if it were just five, it would be pretty, pretty low number of the, average uh, seat loss for the president's party in midterm since world war two is a uh, little over 25 seats. Uh, and, um, you know, I think if you look at the, you go sort of seat by seat as we're, you know, redistricting mm-hmm. is finishing up here. Um, I would think Republicans, you know, I think somewhere in the twenties is, is where I'd be looking at right now in terms of net seat gain. Uh, and, you know, we'll see, we'll see how that develops over time. I don't, you know, I don't think anything is, is set in stone. Um, but uh, certainly the Republicans have more than enough credible targets to uh, get to where they want to get, which I think is not just to win the House majority, but to build a big enough majority that they that they can defend it in 2024, which is going to be a presidential year and um, mm-hmm. probably at least a better year for Democrats than this one is, at least if it's if it's, uh, um, you know, a competitive presidential race. So do, oh, go do, ahead. Dem- do Democrats have a better chance uh, of uh, holding on to the Senate? Yeah, I would say so. Um, I think that the, you know, there are some kind of, um, you know, some, some developments that I think haven't been that great for Republicans. I don't know if they have a, you know, the, the, the best possible candidates in their various Senate races. There's some thought that some, some nominees could end up being particularly weak. Um, and so, you know, that, that matters. Um, I, I, I kind of think candidate quality might matter a little bit more in Senate races just because they get more coverage and, um, uh, more attention. And, and, you know, you might see a little bit more crossover than in the house races, which can be, um, I mean, everything's kind of nationalized these days, but the house may be particularly nationalized. Uh, you know, the Democrats have, I think, pretty decent, strong incumbents running in a lot of these races who have a lot of money, but the, I, I you know, if you, if you, you know, I would, I would much rather have the environment in my favor than fundraising or the power of incumbency or something like that. So at the end of the day, you know, the Republicans just need to net one seat to flip the Senate and between, yeah. you know, Nevada, Arizona, Georgia, New Hampshire, um, you know, the, the Republicans are defending in, in terms of competitive states, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. Uh, and at the end of the day, I just think that, that the Republicans have a, have a better chance to get there than the Democrats do. Even if I can't necessarily sit here and tell you that I feel confident that states X and Y will flip, but state Z won't. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've had conversations in the last week or so with some leading Democrats, um, including leader Steny Hoyer and Chairman Jamie Harrison, uh, chair of the DNC. And and the conversation seems to be, it's all about, well, how do, how do Democrats regain the edge, right? What do Democrats have to do? And, and I find them split between those who say, look, we just have to sell our accomplishments. We got a lot done in the last two years, right? For the American people, boom, boom, boom. And others just say, no, we got to make it all about Donald Trump. Uh, what do you think? What do Democrats have to do to turn things around if they can? I mean, I, it, it may be that they 
do a lot of things and they don't actually have any effect. I mean, I just feel like it's, it's pretty common to hear a party saying, Oh, well in in, in a midterm environment like this, well, you know, we need to get our message out. We need to fire up our candidate or our side. And it's just, it just is historically just kind of hard to do. Um, so I think more impactful than, than any of those things would be some sort of new development, changing the calculus. I guess you could say, um, if the Supreme court says something dramatic about abortion, I was just going. I was just going yeah. to ask you about that. That would be a significant impact, right? Uh, you know, potentially. Although, I, you know, I don't necessarily know what the what the political fallout would be. But sometimes, when it, when a side feels like it's losing something, that that's maybe more motivating than than if it feels like it's gaining something. And in the event of Roe v. Wade going away, I do think the the left, the you know pro the the pro abortion rights folks would feel like they're. Um, uh, that, that, that they're losing something. And maybe that has a, that, that has a, a galvanizing effect on Democrats and, mm-hmm. um, allows them to sort of, uh, make up this enthusiasm gap that they're currently suffering with compared to the Republicans. But, um, so that's something to monitor. Um, and, you know, maybe there's some other sort of thing that happens that we're not foreseeing at this point. Um, but the, you know, the, I just say the overall environment continues to be poor for Democrats. And I think it's been poor for months, so it's not like this is like a new development. I mean, the, the environment was poor when, um, you know, Democrats lost the Virginia governor's race in November right. and things look pretty similar now to how they were back then. Uh, and some of the White House reporters, a couple of them have, have, have noted that Biden has, has, has dropped little hints, right, that he's really raring to go, particularly to take on Donald Trump and maybe work, work on that theme of the fear of Trumpism or the fear of Donald Trump returning in 2024. Um, do you see it as effective? It might be effective in some places with some kinds of voters, but I also think that the American public has pretty short memory and they're pretty focused on the person who's in power as opposed to who's not in power. Now, mm-hmm. if Trump's a nominee in 2024, then obviously a lot of that stuff becomes much more salient to the election. Um, but I just think about you know the, the Republicans trying to you know, talk about Clinton or Pelosi or what have you in 2018 or the, um, you know, the Democrats talking about Bush maybe in 2010. Like, I just think a lot of that stuff hasn't been all that effective over the years. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, speaking again about Donald Trump, are, are Democrats better off if Donald Trump is back on Twitter or still off Twitter? I personally think they're better if he's on Twitter, because I think that one yeah. of the things that happens with Trump is that his numbers sometimes will get better when he's less present, mm-hmm. like he's he's less do- dominating the media scene. And Trump would get more coverage, I think, and would probably be say more outrageous things and get coverage for them than if he wasn't on Twitter. But, you know, there's some people who feel like, well, if Trump wasn't on Twitter, he wouldn't have won the nomination anyway back in 2016. So, but in some ways, I think that the, the horse is out of the barn on that, you know, that's, that's in some mm-hmm. ways ancient history. So I, I, I tend to think, I mean, particularly if you're Democrats and you want to talk about Trump more, Trump being so public makes it easier to do that. So Elon Musk may, uh, <laughs> might, might be the one who decides this election, huh? <laughs> I, I don't know if I'd go that far, but I do think it's a, it's a, it's a, um, it's an interesting decision for them. I mean, look, I would, I would assume that if the, 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 the Twitter sale goes, you know, if it goes through and Musk is in charge, I would assume that those sorts of restrictions on certain figures, including the former president would, would go. Trump has said he's not going to get back on, but I, I don't know uh, if I necessarily believe him. Uh, right. Give him the opportunity. I think he'll be there. Uh, yeah. And you and Larry do a lot of polling. Any generic ballot 
votes uh, on versus you know generic. Do you prefer Republicans or Democrats to? Uh, to lead the Congress. Uh, have you guys done any recently? What do they show? Uh, you know, we have not done our own, um, but there's some of that out there. Uh, and, you know, it's 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 kind of common for Republicans to be a little understated in the d- generic ballot. So, like, the averages show the Republicans up, like, two or three points in the generic ballot polls. Um, and, like, ABC Washington Post came out with one over the weekend that right. had, I think it actually had the Democrats up one. It was basically mm-hmm. tied. It was, like, 45-45. Um, which was an improvement from their last poll. But I, you know, I just think that at the end of the day or, or as we get, get going or get closer to election day here, if Biden's still in the low forties, I would think that the Republican edge in the generic ballot would grow. That would just be my expectation because I think the approval number and the generic ballot number can be, can be linked. Um, so, you know, Democrats can point to the generic ballot as we're talking right now and say, Hey, maybe it's not going to be that bad. Um, but I'm sort of taking the longer view and thinking, well, if Biden's only in the low forties, that probably imposes something of a cap on how high the Democrats get in the generic ballot, which means that I would, again, my personal guess is that the Republican lead on the generic ballot will be bigger in November than it is now. So here we are. And, and look, if, if it, if it isn't, then something's gone wrong. And then yeah. maybe some of these predictions we're talking about don't actually come to pass. So we are talking on. May 2nd, seven months to go, really, before the uh, general election in November, um, things could change, right? But not likely is what you're saying. Yeah, you know, sometimes um, this is more for presidential elections than for midterms, but uh, sometimes some of the uh, political forecasting models will use like second quarter GDP growth as like one of the variables, meaning that mm-hmm. se- the the whatever people's perceptions of the economy is or are in um, in the summer, that might be what they still feel about it come November. Meaning that like if inflation is still bad and people are concerned about it in the summer, if it gets a lot better by November, it may be that that's too late, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. for people's perceptions to change. So, um, you know, again, I don't think the cake is baked quite yet, but it may be baked over the summer if nothing changes. Quick word before we let you go about 2024. You've made a couple of references to it. What does it look like right now? Joe Biden, I mean, I was at the White House Correspondents' Dinner Saturday night. He dropped a couple of pretty strong hints about running for re-election. Any doubt in your mind? Even though Biden is uh, you know, the oldest president ever and sometimes shows his age, uh, you know, I don't think we I think we should assume an incumbent president is running until they're not. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, who knows what, what his ultimate decision might be, but, um, you know, I just see some people sometimes saying, oh, well, he's definitely going to be gone and, you know, they're going to have to find a new nominee or whatever, or frankly saying that Trump is definitely going to run. I mean, you know, who knows? I mean, I think we need to be, uh, modest about, or, and humble about how much we can sort of read the minds of these folks. You know, Biden has wanted to be president his whole life or much of his life anyway. Um, is he just going to like voluntarily give it up? Like, Unlikely. I, I unlikely. Would say. Yes. Yeah. I, I agree. Well, what about the Trump run? Is he just teasing us that he's uh, th- that he's going to run and kind of keeping everybody out? I would say the same dynamic is at place for both Biden and Trump in that they may be torn about running for re-election. I, you know, who knows? Um, but they are always going to want to project that they are running because otherwise, if they're not, then they're suddenly either Biden's a lame duck or Trump is probably less important if he's not seen as a future candidate. Um, mm-hmm. So whatever the decisions end up being made, um, you know, they, uh, um, 
they're going to want to try to project that they're running for president anyway. And it actually could lead to, um, you know, an interesting dynamic after the midterms because we're so used to presidential elections basically starting after the midterm or maybe even right. beforehand. But it might be that that the perceptions mm-hmm. of whether Biden or Trump will run again might actually end up sort of freezing the, the fields. Um, right. And so maybe it gets maybe the presidential stuff kind of gets off to a later start because it might be unclear um, on bo- on either side, really, whether the whether the, 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 the 2020 nominee is actually running again. And if Trump were to run, do you think he would have a primary challenge? I think he probably would. Um, have some sort of primary challenge. It's just a question of how serious it would end up being. You know, does does one of the top contenders, other than Trump, uh, like a Ron DeSantis or a Mike Pence, or you know, there are all sorts of names you you could mention. Um, right. Uh, you know, do 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 one or more of them get in? And of course, you know, the more people who enter, the better it probably is for Trump. Um, but you know, this could be where some of these endorsement. Um, successes or failures for Trump could be meaningful because if, if, you know, if, if Trump is perceived to be weak in some ways, it can actually make him weak because it attracts an actual champ, you know, more credible challenge. Right. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, there's, there's a, there's both, you know, again, strength and weakness and also the projection of strength and weakness. And, you know, if, 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 Trump comes out of these primaries being perceived to be still really strong, then maybe that makes it less likely that someone goes against him. Uh, if he comes out of these primaries looking not as strong, maybe that impacts decision-making too. You know, I'm sure that again, someone like DeSantis has a interesting and challenging decision to make, assuming he wins reelection um, because, you know, he could, you know, he could conceivably challenge Trump and win, but he certainly wouldn't start as a favorite if he did that. Right. So yeah. it would be kind of a leap of faith for him. Although um, I, my general thinking is that if you want to run for something, you ought to just do it because you know, you never know if you'll get, if, if you know, you could, you could say, oh, well, if you're DeSantis say, well, I'm still young, I can yeah. run in 2028. Right. You just, you know, you, you, you never quite know. I mean, that's, I, I think the greatest example of that working out is Obama himself. Because, uh, exactly. Because exactly. he, he didn't wait his turn. He ended up winning. Yep. Indeed. Uh, great look, uh, great overlook of the uh, political landscape today, Kyle Kondek. Thank you so much. How can, um, and by the you've had a busy May here ahead of you, so maybe we'll catch up after that's over and assess some of the results of it. How can people uh, keep track of, uh, your good work and Larry Sabato at the center. What's the best? Uh, yeah. Best so, way? uh, um, crystal ball newsletter comes out, uh, generally a couple times a week. Uh, we're at uh, centerforpolitics.org backslash crystal ball, and uh, it's free to sign up just, uh, um, put your email address in that box and, uh, get it on our mailing list. All right. You got it. Thanks so much, Kyle. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Bill. And that's it for today's podcast with Kyle Kondik from the Center for Politics at the University of Virginia. Uh, don't, th- don't forget, there'll be a link in the episode notes to today's podcast so you can sign up for the Crystal Ball, the newsletter that uh, Kyle Kondik and Larry Sabato put out a couple of times a week, which I got to tell you is read by all the Washington political insiders. They read it, so you should too. Check out the link in today's episode notes. Uh, And, of course, we'll be back on Friday with our Reporters Roundtable. It's going to be a busy week. We'll talk about the results in Ohio, talk about the impact that uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Ukraine might have on getting that 
new help to Ukraine, and all the latest efforts in Congress to come up with a bipartisan plan uh, to deal with climate change. That'll be uh, all the topics uh, and more for our Friday Roundtable. In the meantime, take good care of yourselves and come back and see us on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.